0: Global economy. The volatility and the upswings and the moods. Sort of a deflationary phenomenon again. Money for nothing.
1: Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. The S&P 500 rises to a record as Greece boosts the euro. Greece will prepare a request for a six-month loan extension amid the impasse. And Snapchat seeks, uh, seeks up to 19 billion U.S. dollars in a funding round. And China business sentiment appears to be the lowest in eight years. Welcome to the last day of the year of the horse. Today, St. James's Place's Wealth Management's um, chief economist, Martin Henneke, joins us uh, for our markets discussion. Then, our media contributor, Lightning International CEO James Ross, talks with Variety's Asia Bureau chief, Patrick Freider, about China's Hollywood business. And Richard Harris is back with us again as guest host this morning. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Anita. So it's the last day of the year. Does it feel like December 31st all over again?
2: Yeah, a little bit like that. Um, However, I was just looking at the China market. The Chinese market is up 60% in the year of the horse. So um, that was a galloping one. We'll have to see how quick the sheep is.
1: Yeah, is the sheep pretty quick? I mean, that's not the image that comes to mind. No,
2: it's not, no. And uh, maybe the Feng Shui Index will win through after all.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, Wall Street certainly opened lower after the latest round of talks between Greece and the Eurozone over restructuring its bailout ended abruptly on Monday without agreement. Yanis Varoufakis says that uh, Greece is not bluffing and that there is no plan B.
0: What does a bluff mean Think of poker. It means that you have a 7 and you're pretending you have an ace. We don't do that. What we have been saying steadfastly from the very beginning is we want an honorable settlement, we want to wed together these principles, the principle that there is a program that has to be respected and the principle that there is a government that challenges the the logic of this program and let's find common ground between the two. This is what we've been saying from the beginning. It's not a bluff. Because it's the only option we have. It's plan A. There is no plan B. Therefore, no games.
1: However, news reports are also saying that Greece might be amenable to a compromise uh, uh, extension of its current bailout package helped by the market rebound. George Osborne is the UK Chancellor of the Exchequer and he says that we are reaching a crunch time.
3: Well, we're reaching crunch time for Greece and the eurozone. And I'm here to urge all sides to reach an agreement because the consequence of not having an agreement would be very severe for economic and financial stability. Now, we have a long-term economic plan in Britain and we can better protect ourselves against those consequences. But what Britain really needs to see is competence, not chaos.
1: So how much does Greece actually have at stake? Here's Merck Investments' Axel Merck. One of the bigger issues is the reluctance of Europe to bail out the small bank
0: holders. Keep in mind that Dyson the head of the Eurogroup, when the Cyprus crisis happened, said this is going to be a roadmap for these things that are going to be handled going forward. And he had, uh, he had his foot in his mouth a little bit at the time because they were back and forth on the small depositors. But there's absolutely no reason why Greek people need to have the money in a Greek bank. They can put it into a new institution, into a good bank. And so there are scenarios. Now, of course, the reason why Northern Europe doesn't want it, because ultimately that would mean maybe they just write off their debt and there's no other consequence. Um, and, and the more painful an exit is, the more of a discouragement it is for other uh, other, um, countries in the EU. Uh, There are lots of scenarios. The reason why the the euro isn't isn't nervous about this is because ultimately Greek debt isn't held by by, by banks anymore in northern Europe. It's held only by Greek banks, by the EU, by the MF, by hedge funds.
1: So the question that everybody is asking is how far can we kick the can down the road?
0: volatility which volatility would surge clearly it would be an unpleasant event but remember central banks can buy liquidity not solvency. The reason why central banks provide liquidity is to get ready for the solvency issues and that's where we are. Now we can push the can down the road six months, a year, maybe a couple of years but ultimately of course Greece will have to default everybody knows that. The question is can the system stomach it? Well, this is not going to be a Lehman moment, this is going to be a moment that's going to be a severe risk off Cyprus is the closest example um, because that's where we had the euro had dipped but recovered pretty quickly. It's very bad for the local population. Iceland, um, similarly, it's very bad for Iceland, it would be very bad for Greece, but the euro, the rest of the eurozone would survive it. Um, Who cares whether Greece is part of the euro or not?
1: U.S. stocks shrugged off the latest stumble in Greek debt talks uh, overnight as the S&P 500 edged to a new closing high. It rose just over a tenth of a percent to 2,100. The Dow climbed 28 points to 18,047, and the Nasdaq was also up about a tenth of a percent to close at 4,899. In Asia, the Nikkei is up 110 points to 18,098, and Australia's ASX index is up 12 Points to 5,835. Snapchat is seeking a new round of funding that would value the company as high as 19 billion US dollars, making it the third most valuable venture backed uh, company in the world. And in local company news, SmartOne, the number three mobile operator in Hong Kong posted a 50% increase in the interim net profit for the six months ended December 31st. This was on the back of strong iPhone 6 sales and a growth in subscribers. Richard, uh, can you uh, fill us in on any more details?
2: Uh, Yes. Well, it was interesting that the iPhone really held up the earnings, uh, uh, earnings being up 50%, um, which is quite substantial. There's really a modest growth in service revenue. Um, They have picked up a lot of the cheap end uh, subscribers as other uh, providers have actually moved out of that market. So so maybe it's not quite as good as it looks at, at first instance.
1: And uh, what about other companies? Well, we had, I think, MGM report, uh, you know, which missed on Q4 earnings.
2: Yes, that's right. MGM China, the uh, casino operator in, in Macau, um, although earnings were up slightly, they did miss. But analysts are forecasting an average 40% uh, tumble um, on the full year. And uh, that's been reflected in share prices, which are pretty well down 25%. Uh, but there are also three more casinos going into Macau as well. So analysts are quite torn thinking, is the supply going to continue out of China, um, uh, especially among the low-end rollers as opposed to the big guys, uh, as against the fact that there's a lot more supply coming on stream from from casino operators.
1: Well, this is it. I mean, uh, analysts are not necessarily expecting a good year for Macau casino revenue, are they? I mean, given that um, Chinese spending patterns are shifting.
2: Well, that's right. And the other thing is, too, we've got to remember it's had an extraordinary rise. We've had year-on-year of um, substantial earnings growth, sometimes 50%, 25%. um, And you have to wonder how long that's going to continue, especially in a new Chinese environment.
1: I mean, do you think it's a permanent thing or is it just a blip perhaps with Chinese New Year, the Lunar New Year being uh, later this year than it was last year?
2: Well, they did say that uh, although it's a flat period before Chinese New Year, that actually there was quite a slowdown in in terms of betting. Um, It doesn't look particularly good, although you will hear a lot of analysts coming out of Macau who say that they still think it's quite positive. Um, but then they would do, wouldn't they?
1: (laughs) I suppose they would. Well, foreign direct investment in China, all that said, has hit an almost four-year high, with the mainland attracting just under 14 billion U.S. dollars in January. That's up 29% from a year ago, and uh, 66% of this went into the service sector. Meanwhile, the outbound direct investment hit more than 10 billion U.S. dollars in January, up 41% from a year earlier. Richard, why is it that, you know, we're seeing this in China and we see this in India as well. A lot of the foreign direct investment goes into the service sector. Is there a reason for that? Well, I think it's
2: because people don't really want to invest in the the mucky stuff, you know, the uh, uh, steel. They're often very high fixed cost business. You have to put a lot of investment in before you get anything back. At least the service sector, you know, if you're putting in a row of shops or something, the whole investment is, is a lot less and you get income back quickly and you get feedback quickly too. So if it starts to go wrong, you can start you can tweak it as you go along all
1: right let's bring in our guest this morning our markets guest that is martin Henneke, and he is the chief economist of asia at saint james's place wealth management good morning martin good morning that that's a long company name now you this is a new thing right Uh, tell us about saint james's place wealth management
4: yeah, we have uh, just uh, rebranded from a previously Henley group to now St um, James's place and uh, we are part of a FTSE 100 company now so a lot of um, changes happening and part of a much broader firm um, but essentially uh, as long as you are still happy to have me on I will still be contributing my insights here and just uh, catching up on a few things. Th- that you mentioned earlier, maybe. Sorry, yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, on.
1: no, I think we're happy to have you on. What do you think, Richard? Are we happy to have him Mom? <laughs>
4: yes, I, I, I think so. In
2: fact, uh, Martin is uh, your European. Maybe you could tell us what do you think about Greece. Are, they, are we going to see a Greek exit or not?
1: Yeah. M- Martin, do you agree with uh, perhaps what Axel Merck said earlier? Do you think this is not going to be a Lehman moment?
4: Well, I would agree with what he said in terms of uh, does it really matter where uh, Greece is going?" So, what I would like to emphasise is that for from my perspective, Greece is really just only the tip of the iceberg. You have um, essentially similar problems in Spain, and Spain's debt is about three times larger than that of Greece in in nominal terms. You have got similar problems in Italy where youth unemployment is forty four percent and the debt to GDP ratio also very high. Uh, and in Italy, the, the debt is over six times larger than, than that of Greece. Um, so I think the you know what investors maybe haven't really realized whether or not they find a solution for Greece uh, there's going to be much bigger problems in, in in almost all of the eurozone countries even France is struggling to some extent and I think personally that may be why you have had some voices to some degree of support out of France Italy and Spain because all of them essentially may may also be requiring some form of debt restructuring sooner or later so we are quite concerned on the stability um, in the eurozone and the stability in the euro as well
1: So, Martin, uh, you know, a lot of the analysts here in Asia have been saying, well, you know, Eurozone aside, uh, there's not necessarily a whole lot to worry about here because, you know, a lot of this has been factored in already. But if you say that Greece is just the tip of the iceberg, surely there is going to be a domino effect.
4: Yes, very possibly so. I mean, we have seen that um, back uh, um, in, in the original Eurozone crisis, uh, where almost Greece was heading for national bankruptcy, only with the bailout that was stopped. We have seen before contagion on bond yields of other eurozone countries. Now, so far, right now, actually, you see uh, bond yields of other eurozone countries really at record low, which is ridiculous. Uh, in Italy, the yield on 10-year bonds is 1.67% only. Um, but we, we do indeed believe that um, you might see uh, this affecting other countries going um, forward. But and, there, and, yeah. but
2: there's the, another argument, too. I, I I was in Spain last summer, and They almost seem to be quite proud that they've managed to get through the crisis. And there's this move within Europe of countries that have actually got through the crisis, countries like Ireland, for instance, who are dead against giving anything extra to Greece because they said, well, we managed to crawl our way out of it. Why
4: can't they? Well, yes, some Eurozone countries have had some improvement, but I think Ireland is the exception to the rule. Um, you know, if you're seeing uh, the next generation in, in countries li- in a country like Italy with 2.1 trillion of debt, which even Germany couldn't bail out, uh, being being lost there, we don't have that much hope. And I would also say, uh, you have had, you know, over the last few years, very interesting comments from policymakers. You have had Jean-Claude Juncker, who is now the president of the uh, European Commission, saying that when it becomes serious, you have to lie. You have had the Swiss National Bank exiting the euro Pact, they might have had a reason for that too and in a quote here the head of the swiss national bank actually said if you decide to exit such a policy you have to take the markets by surprise and i believe a lot of eurozone politicians know that italy is just as much a basket case as greece is and something very big is going to come
2: okay let's move closer to home you're reasonably positive on the hong kong market
4: that's right, and one of the reasons is valuation and, of course, China's economic growth. I mean, people always say, oh, yeah, my goodness, China's slowing. It's still 7.4%. Everybody talks about, You and we chatted about this earlier, uh, there's a little bit of growth suddenly in Germany, 0.7% per quarter. Um, but, um, you know, China is still uh, actually quite strong. And if you're looking at the valuations in the Chinese equity market, I'm talking about Hong Kong-listed China stocks now. It's uh, 35 to 40%, particularly the eight shares, 35 to 40% on price-to-earnings sp- uh, rate. Basis below the global market valuation average, In in the mainland now, after the 60% rally that you just mentioned, um, the valuations are a bit higher now. But in Hong Kong, you see over 20, 25% more or less discount in the H-share market compared to the mainland. That's why we do like to have some exposure to it.
1: So, Martin, there seems to be, you know, some confusion. If you look beyond stocks for a second, the, the M and I Chinese Business Indicator has just reported that the outlook for business conditions in China over the next three months has fallen to a record low. Um, That said, we know that FDI has hit a four-year high. So, A, this is a little bit confusing. Where is the money going? Is it going in equities? Is it going in real estate?
4: Well, I would, one thing I would like to emphasize on this, over the last couple of years, we have seen obviously most of the money going into real estate. And, and for us, we, we are not really politicians. We always like to view things from the angle of an investor. Where would you want to put your money now? And that the interesting thing is, um, real estate uh, in Hong Kong and in China is quite expensive. In Hong Kong we know it's seven times average annual household income now and the next two cities are Vancouver is 10.6 and Sydney 9.8. So by far, by far it's um, the highest priced um, market in the world and yet equities are among the lowest um, value places. So we do um, like the stock markets um, much better relatively. One other thing very briefly also want to point out, economic growth and also the near term outlook, the three months business sentiment or anything, but even the wider The economic growth is not obviously the same as the equity market at all. You have actually seen from 2007 to 2013, you have seen the equity market coming down 65% in Shanghai, even though you have had economic growth of 7 to 10%. So
2: you're bullish. You're still bullish
4: what I'm saying is it's not always the same. It depends on what time you go into the market at which valuation. In 2007, it was a bubble, so big economic growth, but the stock market crashed. But now valuations, we think, are quite reasonable, particularly through Hong Kong, yes, indeed. So,
1: Martin, I know you can't get into specific stock picks, but are there sectors, industry sectors that you can point us to where you're finding value?
4: Um, indeed, we are looking generally at, um, value more than, than growth at the moment. That, that's one thing I can say. And also, I would, I would just like to pinpoint that, um, two of the sectors that are generally relatively hated, um, in the Chinese market are banks and also property because, um, people see that property is quite expensively priced. Um, and, and then they uh, believe that banks may be negatively affected and also property uh, stocks. However, on a valuation basis, actually banks and property are quite reasonably priced. And one interesting thing, also particularly when I think in Hong Kong, when you look at real estate investment trusts, mm. um, some of them actually trade at over 50% discount to the market value of their assets now. So there's this big gap and what we think is an arbitrage opportunity because the much cheaper listed real estate um, uh, securities and real estate investment trusts. Not all of them, you, so you have to check carefully. But some of them trade at this huge discount. So we do see that as an arbitrage opportunity between the cheaper listed um, property and the more expensive. So um, physical how, one.
1: how then, Martin, does the retail investor make sense of this? As you say, banks, you know, in real estate are hated on one hand, yet uh, they have good, these good valuations. Now, you know, the average the retail investor does not. Uh, necessarily want to, you have an arbitrage opportunity, but wants to invest wisely. So c- can you give us some advice?
4: The first piece of advice would be given globally that we still have a lot of risks out there that we think uh, investors haven't really fully factored in, just like the eurozone uh, problems that I mentioned earlier, and even Japan, the US, all these sovereign debt problems haven't gone away. For that reason, the first thing I would generally recommend is not to be very highly leveraged, and that very much includes Hong Kong property um, for people with uh, um, second, third, fourth, fifth, you you re- read those stories as mortgages, uh, so uh, particularly since we anyway don 't think that property is the greatest bargain here, so be very careful in terms of debt exposure and mortgage exposure. ideally being debt free would be very good and then um, put, don 't put your X into all, uh, all into one basket, diversify some property is fine, um, but also look at uh, a diversified investment opportunity uh, portfolio that may include banks, uh, stocks, and those sectors that I um, mentioned just now but also a, a basket of different types of asset classes that aren't that correlated to each other.
1: All right, Martin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Martin Henneke, and he is the Chief Asia Economist of St. James' Place, St. James's Place wealth management in currencies this morning 1 euro will buy you 1.14 us dollars the us dollar is currently trading at 119 yen and 1 pound sterling is worth 11 hong kong dollars and 90 cents Brent crude oil is currently valued at $62.53 and gold is $1208 per ounce hello i'm dudu chen before you travel you might read the weather forecast for your destination But you cannot find any accident forecast to tell when an accident is going to happen. Whenever you travel, you risk losses, trip delays, and injury. To protect yourself, arrange travel insurance before you travel and make sure the insurance coverage suits your needs. Travel insurance means travel reinsurance. The time is now eight twenty-two a.m. and China and Hollywood certainly seem like an odd couple. But with such a huge market, would Hollywood be willing to bend its back to get a big chunk of the cake? Let's ask our media consultant, uh, Lightning International CEO James Ross. Good morning, James.
3: Good morning, Renita. Well, yes, it's big business, of course, in uh, in China, and the numbers are, are huge. Um, we're going to speak in a moment to uh, Patrick Freighter, who's the Asia bureau chief for Variety, and you know some of the numbers that. Uh, he has come up with in a, in a recent article, um, you know, are huge. China, uh, the turnover for um, movies is about $5 billion a year now, up 33% last year, um, and the investment in, in China estimated in Hollywood from China estimated about $5 billion a year. Um, so things seem like they're going pretty well for the uh, the China film industry. Um, Patrick, uh, you, in your recent article you've uh, for Variety, you uh, identified that there are four big players that are kind of unknown in the entertainment and movie world um, that, that, that we wouldn't really be expected to hear as investors or potential investors into Hollywood.
5: I think that's r- exactly right. Um, your re- your readers and listeners will have known the names of these companies, Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent and Wanda, uh, very well. I'm sure that they've featured on this show many times. Uh, probably what is less known is just what a big entertainment uh, direction each one of these companies has taken.
3: So let's go through them again dalian wonder baidu tencent and alibaba really <coughs> no connection on the face of it with uh, the entertainment movie industry
5: well they've each approached the industry from different directions and baidu for instance from search and they've bought into one of the biggest uh, online video companies and combining that with with their search function makes a great deal of sense their their shows their their, their films that are featured on that player come out on top Uh, And and Tencent is now the the, the hugest platform for for social communications and has uh, therefore been able to add on games, movies and and all sorts of other uh, functionality.
1: Patrick, I wanted to ask, um, you know, the China box office is certainly growing, but uh, not uh, p- perhaps a little disproportionately. I mean, in the current year, ticket sales um, for local films increased incredibly, but for Im- imported films uh, saw a slump. Now, despite relaxing quotas, is Hollywood doing something wrong or are the Chinese filmmakers doing something right? How do we reconcile the situation?
5: In fact, I think last year both imported and uh, local films grew but the Chinese films grew s- stronger and I think certainly the, the home field advantage is, is very significant for the companies which have got access to local marketing skills uh, and precisely these platforms which I was talking about and uh, they, they're also using big data better, uh, and they're coming up with local properties, whether they're games or short films or internet novels, which they're now adapting into movies. But
2: Patrick, haven't there been restrictions on foreign films? I hear there's a limited number allowed in, limited number of houses, that kind of thing.
5: That's absolutely right. There's, there's an import quota. Uh, but I think uh, both the Hollywood companies and the local companies which distribute those films have learnt to to play around those partly through slightly fuzzy definitions of what's, a, what's an imported film and certainly also through co-production.
1: So, Patrick, I have a question. I mean, what is Hollywood looking for when uh, they decide to go ahead and produce a commercial film? In that, is it just the film and the story, or are they looking for the whole deal? The merchandising, the game gaming opportunity, you know, everything, every last cent they can milk out of it.
5: Oh, more and more they're looking for for properties which they can monetize in all these different things. Um, You have to look all the way from the theatrical box office through to theme parks, which uh, come on stream several years later after the the movie release. And what we're seeing now with these Chinese companies, which I mentioned, is that they have learned exactly the same thing. Um, Wanda, for instance, recently opened the world's first indoor theme park, and they have planned Plans for movie themed uh, parks and recreation facilities in all of their major shopping malls and i think they have over 100 throughout china And by the way,
3: um, Wanda now, of course, owns the AMC uh, cinema chain in the US. So, you know, they're a huge uh, investor in uh, overseas um, entertainment.
5: They are indeed. Uh, And there's lots of rumours flying around suggesting that they may buy a a stake in in, in a Hollywood company uh, with Lionsgate tipped as the front runner. I have no idea whether that's going to come true or not. Uh, But it it would make a degree of sense uh, for them to be cautious but but active I mean, they, 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 they bought AMC as you said which shocked a lot of people I think now they're going to continue to step up their investment in content um, but they're going to do so a little more carefully they're not going to try and break open a Hollywood studio and turn it into a Chinese company
1: and Patrick in terms of content you know what is it uh, that they are finding that is more commercially viable is it the Chinese story with Chinese protagonists that everybody can identify with or is it this you know one Uh, sort of foreign story.
5: What's working in China very well, uh, and we've seen this particularly so in the last couple of years is contemporary Chinese stories. Uh, these have often been made with much lower budgets than the Hollywood films, but they are they resonate with audiences, they're, they're, they're quicker, they're fresher, and they're often using stars which come from either from the internet or from TV, and, and therefore Hollywood stars don't have necessarily have the same value, and nor, unfortunately, do some of Hong Kong's old older, uh, senior stars.
3: <laughs> it's Chinese New Year's, the holidays, uh, Patrick. What are the... What are the big movies we can expect in uh, the next few days or over the holidays?
5: Well, this is the season very much for releasing Chinese movies, Chinese language movies and there are going to be uh, at least four battling it out. Um, There's a film called Snow Girl and the Dark Crystal. There's a Jackie Chan film called Dragon Blade. Um, There's a sequel, Hong Kong made sequel called The Man from Macau 2 typical Hong Kong gambling comedy and then there's something that is really rather interesting and revolutionary uh, called Wolf Totem. This is based on a, a very well selling uh, novel uh, which has been translated worldwide. It's somewhat uh, controversial in that it deals with the Cultural Revolution themes. And the Chinese government, literally China Film Group, went out to Jean Jacques Hannault, a French director who was previously banned, to go and make this film.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Uh, sound like uh, many films that uh, we all should be uh, watching, you know, in, in these years leading up to the new year. Thank you so much. That is Patrick Frater. He is the Asia Bureau. Chief for Variety. And thank you, of course, to James Ross, the CEO of Lightning International, our regular media contributor on Money for Nothing. So here we are almost at the end of the show. Uh, the Nikkei is up 150 points to 1,000. Uh, excuse me, 18,137. Australia's ASX Index is up 21 points to 5,844. Richard, in about 20 seconds or less, parting thoughts for the year?
2: Well, The movie for tonight is going to be The Fed Minutes. uh, The Minutes of the Federal Reserve Board, uh, which just came out, may not be quite as interesting as some of these Hong Kong movies. The key thing people are going to be looking out for is the removal of the word patience. So all the algorithms will be searching for that.
1: And so with that, removal of the word patience, that that sounds like a bit of an ominous note to uh, end the year with, no?
2: Well, if that happens, then the Fed will certainly be in a tightening bias and uh, people may be looking for interest rate rises June, October or the end of the year.
1: All right. Thank you so much. That is Richard Harris. He is the CEO of Port Shelter Investment Manage- Management and he is our regular Friday co-host on Money for Nothing. I'm Renita Malhotra Hora wrapping up for this year. A very happy Lunar New Year to you all. Quick look at the weather forecast for today it'll be cloudy visibility will be relatively low in some areas at first with sunny intervals during the day currently the temperature is 17 degrees celsius and the relative humidity is 82 percent and now it's time for the news with sam butler the United Nations Security Council has called on all parties in eastern Ukraine to stop fighting and implement the ceasefire that was agreed last week. The Security Council expressed particular concern over the fighting in the strategic town of Debaltseve. Latest reports from there say Russian-backed rebels now control most of the town. A Ukrainian spokesman said hundreds of government soldiers were surrounded. Oliver Carroll is a freelance journalist who's in the area of
5: Debaltseve.
3: What we're seeing at the moment is an effective encirclement of Ukrainian troops in Dabatsawa. And the very latest I'm hearing now is that uh, street fighting is ongoing. And some reports are saying that maybe as much as 90% of the town has now gone over to the other side. Those are unconfirmed. I can't really say if that's true or not. But I do know that the um, military headquarters...